funny. Um, Caleb had no idea um, when he was playing this song. At least I don't think he did because um, it just hit me a few moments ago. But with this being Sanctity of Life Sunday, that's a, a song that um, when our son Ethan was born in the hospital and we were fighting through hours and hours of uncertainty with the labor, we were playing that song over and over again. And we felt the presence of God and the peace of God because we knew that, he, and I think deep in within us, although we were gripped with fear and we didn't know what was going on, uh, we knew that we had a God who loved us and who loved our unborn son. And, um, and so there was a peace that came over us in that song, so. Hopefully you'll bear with me in that. <laughs> and uh, thank you to Caleb for, uh, for listening to God and putting that song in there because I know that that wasn't what was originally planned for this morning. Uh, can we just pray? Father, thank you. Thank you that you know our days. <laughs> Better than we ever can. Lord, that you knew 11 years ago this morning what would happen and how you would be glorified in that. <sighs> That's who we have in you. The one who loves us and treasures us. Who desires good for us. And so God, we've come this morning and we want to just hand ourselves over completely to you. I don't know what you're going to do in the, work, in, in the midst of our hearts, but I want you to do what you want to do, Lord. We want to just be open to you. We want you to speak through your word. We want you to speak through our time together here. Lord, would you guide our time in a way that is just, just points a huge arrow to you as our Lord, as our God, as the one who is good and full of grace and who loves us and who we come to uh, in prayer. And you listen. <laughs> you listen. And so as we dig into your word and we look at that, we look at Paul's prayer in the Ephesians, would you just open up our hearts to what that means for our lives and how that might shape us. Thank you, Father. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning. I am grateful um, for our time together here uh, as we seek uh, to, to jump into week two of our three-week quick dip into the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're looking at some of the prayers of Paul within Ephesians, and it's all part of what we uh, call Oasis. Uh, we're taking three weeks to launch into the new year uh, with a remix of some of our life groups. And uh, all of the, the groups are meeting for a time of discussion centered on the weekly teaching. Uh, I know some of the groups have been sharing a meal together, which is awesome. It makes me feel like we kind of step up our game in our group a little bit, at least bring some cookies or brownies. Um, uh, but we would love for you, if you aren't already in one of these groups, to go ahead and, and to get into one of the groups. They're in your bulletin if, on the inside. If you open up the flap, they're listed there, the times and the locations. And uh, if you need any more information, I'd be happy to help you with that. I don't think we have listed whether they serve dinner or not, though, so you're going to have to figure that out on your own. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned, we are 
in Ephesians, and this, la- uh, this past week, we began the series in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. And we looked at the characteristics of Paul's prayer there, how his prayer life is characterized as one which is continual, one which is grateful, and one which is mindful. And so we talked a little bit about what it would be like for us to take on those characteristics in our own lives. And, and we even looked at a, a few practical ideas of how to possibly put these in place within our own lives. And so this week, we continue to our look into Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, and we move from that statement of thanksgiving in verses 15 and 16 to Paul's intercessory petitions within this letter. Now, just a quick definition, if that let, uh, language is too Christianese for you, I get it, okay? Petition is just a request, all right? It's just an asking or a presentation of needs. And intercession or intercessory prayer is really just what happens when we pray on behalf of others. And so an intercessory petition is just presenting to God the needs of others, all right? Now, Paul does this here in chapter 1 and also in chapter 3. And then in between, he kind of moves through with this language of praise for who God is and how He is at work. In fact, if you look at the book of Ephesians, really, the whole first three chapters could be you know, considered maybe borderline prayer. You know, you've got this doxology and this statements of praise, and then he floats in the prayer, and then he's just talking about how good God is and who He is, and then he comes back to prayer. And so you just kind of see that threading through Ephesians. Now, we're looking at the... Words here in chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. Next week we'll get to chapter 3. We may even dip into uh, chapter 6 as well. Paul says this in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Now, there are a couple of things that I want us to notice just at the very beginning of this sentence. First is how he begins. He says, I keep asking. Now, if you were here with us last week, you recognize that this is some of the same language or same verbiage of continuity in prayer that he used in, uses in the verses leading up to this. He says, I keep asking. You know, I, I keep on with this request and then he digs into who he is presenting this request to he says i keep asking that the god of our lord jesus christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better Paul here, just in the way that he words this, he makes a point uh, that the the, the direction of his prayers, his requests, are pointed to the God who has been revealed in and through Jesus Christ. And that God, our Father, is full of or surrounded by glory. The glorious Father. So we see even before Paul gets to the requests at hand, Paul shows again the the, the character of his continuity in prayer. But more importantly, he shows the recipient of and hearer of those prayers as our God, 
the Father of glory. I mean, what a place to begin, right? And it's the proper place, I would say, you know, with a recognition of who it is that we're approaching in prayer. The glorious Father. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think when we recognize who it is that we're, you know, we're truly approaching in prayer, who it is we're talking to, who it is we're asking from, it has the potential to change how we pray. You know, because if, I'm, if I trust that I'm asking for these things, that I'm approaching, one, uh, f- from, uh, I'm approaching one who is powerful enough and willing enough and loving enough to work on my behalf, well, that's likely going to change how I view prayer and, and, and ultimately how I pray. It's going to change the frequency, it is going to change the fervency, and it's going to change the constancy. You know, um, as was, was mentioned earlier, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday where many congregations are you know, being reminded of, of the value of human life, you know, that God values human life. And one of the passages of Scripture that we often look at is the one we saw earlier in the video, Psalm 139, and, and talk about a passage that can shape how you, you know, how you view who it is that you're praying to. You know, Paul in there, he says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know, you hem me in behind and before, and, and you lay your hand upon me. You know, I am I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I praise you. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message, he words some of that. He says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. That's our God. That's why I can't sing that song without thinking about how my, my father, my glorious father, hemmed my son in before he even came into this world. That's the God that we have. And so when we have an idea that that's who we're praying to, a God who listens and a God who's powerful and a God who, who loves us, it, it changes things. And Paul, he knows that, that, that this is who he's praying to. He knows that the, the one above all who is so loving, the Father of glory, that gives him a reason to know that what he prays for and who he prays to makes a difference. So right off the bat, even before we get to the end of this sentence, we just see it is loaded with content. And now, we get to what Paul begins to ask for in prayer. And what does he say? He says, I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Now, real quick, there's a little question as to whether spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit or some type of quality or trait someone receives or even the human spirit. Uh, It's capitalized in some translations, some it's not. And the word that's used here, pneuma, 
It could actually refer to any of those things. But honestly, I think it makes very little difference. And here's why. Because what Paul is praying for here is something that ultimately comes by way of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul asked for two things. He asked for wisdom and revelation. And notice they both have one goal in mind, to know God better. And how can we know him better? Well, obviously, that's helped by the Holy Spirit, right? Paul prays that a special revelation will come to those he's writing to. He prays that God will take off any blinders that may be present, that he will expand their minds and help them to understand the the immensity, the hugeness of their faith. And Paul knows that without revelation and insight that God might bring through his Holy Spirit, that we're kind of clueless, you know? That we don't see things the way that we need to. We're kind of dull of mind, or at least I, I am. You know, you you guys can stop agreeing with me on that whenever you want to. A no would be good. Okay, maybe not. Paul Paul knows this, you know. And and, and this mirrors what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That's what Paul's pointing to here. And, and, and this passage in Ephesians, Paul is asking for the Holy Spirit to grant the Ephesian believers through wisdom and revelation a fuller understanding of God and His grace. You know, in many ways, this is a prayer of comprehension. You know, he, he, comprehension of who God truly is, of knowing Him for all He is. Now, the next petition that we get to here is, is a prayer of comprehension as well in many ways. Uh, but it's a little bit different. Because Paul continues this prayer in verse 18 and, and the first part of 19 saying this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Huh. I'm not sure about you, but every time I, I, I read this passage, I think of that Paul Blosh song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Some of you guys are too old to, uh, or too young to, to, to know that song. <laughs> no, you're not too old. Oh, man, that was a slip. Um, some of you guys are too young to know that song. Uh, I am too, but somebody told me about it. Um, somebody taught it to me. Uh, older person taught it to me. Um, yeah, I'm just getting in trouble. In biblical usage, the heart is the whole inward self. It encompasses the mind, it encompasses the emotions, it encompasses the will. And so the eyes of the heart are simply our inner eyes, which need to be opened up or enlightened so that we can grasp more fully God's truth. And so Paul is pointing to this awakening or this enlightening, you know, that God would give light to, that he would shed light on, that he would give comprehension to the Ephesians and, and to us. As a follower of Jesus, I 
I'm always in need of the Holy Spirit opening up the eyes of my heart to the truth of His Word, to know Him more, you know, to know Him for, for who He is. Now, now, don't misunderstand what he's praying for here in any of this when he says, you know, that when he prays for knowledge or that we would know him in this passage. Uh, he's not just pointing to an intellectual ability to understand. There are people who can explain and translate the Greek text here, but their hearts are unmoved by the incredible truth that is contained within. So he's not just talking about head knowledge. That is part of it. The intellect is absolutely part of it, but that's not all he's talking about. What Paul is praying for here is that it, there would be something that, that not only uh, you know, it, we, we know intellectually, but something that grips our emotions and brings us into a greater understanding and something that grips our will and brings us into a greater submission to who Jesus is. And so it's something so much greater than head knowledge. And so Paul is pointing to this awakening or this enlightening that God would give light to or shed light upon or give comprehension to us. And in this, there are three things that are pointed to. That they, and, and really this is we, when you read this, you can put you know, yourself in, the, in, in the, the position of receiving this prayer. That, it, that this is something that we would want for us as well. And so that we would know the hope to which He's called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. So first, we're just going to break these down. First, Paul prays that they may the, know the hope to which He has called us. Uh, hope is it's the looking forward to something with expectation or some reason for a measure of confidence. You know, hope really refers to a faith in what is going to happen in the future, that we have this belief that something is going to happen and this expectation that something's going to happen in the future. Have you ever met someone who doesn't have hope? Doesn't have any hope or expectation? I mean, it can be such a downer, honestly. You know, so many people have been taught to live in the here and now with no real expectation that God might answer prayer and might intervene on their behalf. And in that, there can be the sense that there's just no hope. What does it matter? You know? But in Paul's prayer, he intercedes for the Ephesian believers and he prays that theirs will be an active faith. That, that, that they would have this hope, that they would be expecting answers to their prayers and ultimately uh, to expect Christ to return again. You know, that that's the hope. He prays essentially that the followers of Jesus would have a hope in the promises of God. And the promise that Jesus, who came to provide a, a way of rescue, is, is coming again. You know, and, the, and, the, and, and that there would be a deepening of trust in that promise and, and, and the other promises of God. He prays that there would be this comprehension of the hope of the future that is found in Jesus Christ. And secondly, Paul prays that we might know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So what's an inheritance? 
Well, it depends on who your parents are. <laughs> you know, for my kids, it's likely going to include a few surfboards, maybe a guitar, some books, and hopefully we'll be wise enough and we'll have planned well enough and we'll have set aside a financial blessing to carry on for them as well. You know, an inheritance is it's a, it's the possessions or the things that we set aside and preserve in order to pass it on to our heirs. Obviously, some people inherit money. Some people inherit physical items. And unfortunately, some people inherit debt and problems. But Paul here, he's not pointing to any of that stuff. See, Paul's pointing to something that is so much greater than any of that when he says inheritance. He points to the riches of God's glorious inheritance in His holy people and the saints. Now, now this phrasing, uh, similar to uh, what we looked at with the Spirit earlier, it can be taken one of two ways. And, and some fall on this side and some fall on that side. It could be either be pointing to this as God's inheritance or our inheritance. Either the inheritance that He receives or it's the inheritance that He gives. Within the Old Testament, we see God's people uh, are often referred to as His inheritance or His possession. But we also see a parallel passage in Colossians 1. It's kind of a parallel passage to this one. A lot of the wording is the same in Colossians. And it suggests that God's inheritance is what we, His children, His followers, receive. Uh, Because in it, Paul writes that we are to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now here's the thing. Whether it's His glorious inheritance or ours, this is what stands out to me. Either way, God considers you a treasure. You and I, us, the church, we are a treasure. And when you walked in here this morning, did you consider yourself a treasure? What about those around you? Do you believe that God considers them a treasure? Again, look back at, at Psalm 139. You know, what does he say? I mean, fearfully and wonderfully made. You know? I'm one that God has knit together. You know? Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. (laughs) That God considers you a treasure. Sometimes we're we're tempted to isolate ourselves from others. You know, and we've, we've suffered rejection or hurt or we have some kind of painful history within the church that makes us want to just move away from others you know and so we attempt to live out or practice this our own form of individual hermit-like christianity which is not christianity it's not faith is not a solo endeavor following jesus is not something you can do on your own it involves His holy people. See, God sees the body of Christ, the whole church, as His treasure. His, 
this glorious inheritance. And Paul says that it's in his holy people, in the saints, it's, it's found within the corporate body of Christ. And, and, and here's something that, that I think is really cool in what he says here. The phrase that he uses, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the riches, he also uses that same wording in verse 7 of chapter 1 when he says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. He says his glorious inheritance is not meager but abundant. It is overflowing. It is beyond counting. It is rich beyond all comparison. And here's why. It's because it's marked by and full of and lived through the amazing grace that we have in Christ. And that is greater than any amount of gold or riches or possessions That's the treasure. The last thing we're going to look at here is that Paul prays that the Ephesians would comprehend God's incomparably great power. So first, hope. Second, inheritance. Third, Paul prays that we might know His incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul was a, a master at how he worded things to convey a picture of what he was trying to get across. And here, he uses a pair of Greek words, both of which point to this exceeding or going beyond uh, a quality of excellence or greatness. And it gets translated as this phrase, incomparably great, which kind of, when you read it, it seems a little redundant, right? You know, I mean, it's incomparable. You know, nothing compares. I mean, that already, when I read incomparable, that signifies to me that it's great. But then he still tacks on this other word that gets translated as great. And because I think it's because Paul wants to dr really drive home the nature of what he is talking about here. You know, the power of God. And so he heaps one word upon another to impress upon the reader the extreme, humongous, immeasurable nature of the power of God. You know, that it is something that is so great that we can't even comprehend it. You know, I, as I was going through this morning, I, 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 uh, the thing that was brought back to my mind is a, a quote that Tristan turned me on to from Annie Dillard, where she talks about how we, we shouldn't you know, wear these poofy Sunday hats to church, but rather crash helmets because of what we're dealing with. You know, we're, 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 we're children on the floor of the sanctuary mixing up a batch of TNT, you know? And I, I mean... I don't think anybody wore their crash helmet this morning, so I know Kirby was thinking about it, but you know that that's the power that he's that he's pointing to. It's incomparable. And the other thing he does here is he uses this word that gets translated as for, and it carries this sense of motion with this, this, you know, it's into or toward. And, and with this, he's conveying this picture of God's immeasurable power being brought into us as believers. It is God's full horsepower at our disposal, at work in those who believe. Now, this is a truth that's hard for us to understand or believe, you know? But what he's saying here is the very same power that we see throughout Scripture at work in the lives of, 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 of people like Peter and, and, and Paul and, and the very same power that empowered Jesus' ministry on earth, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. 
as you have become a believer and a follower of Christ, as you have surrendered your heart to Christ, the very same power that called dead to life lives in you. The very same power that, that, that gave sight to blind eyes lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you know, Paul from here, he goes on to describe more and more of, of what that power really means. You know, that it is the same as the mighty strength which God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, which is pretty incredible. You know, Paul prays that we might experience that same magnitude of power that God exercised in, in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now, here's the thing we read this. And it's hard to get our minds around that. You know, it's easy to say, well, I look at my life and I don't see anything like that. You know, I feel powerless. I don't see, I don't see that. Which I would say is all the more reason that you and I need God to reveal this truth to us and to remind us of it again and again again you know to open the eyes of our heart to an awakening and to an enlightening to his incomparably great power for us who believe you know and that's exactly why paul is praying so diligently constantly every time i pray i pray again and again and again i pray that the you know the, the, the eyes of your hearts would be open to this you know, he prays that the, 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 the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts would, would see more clearly that, that, that their hope would deepen and that their faith would, would be strengthened and opened up. And as he prayed this for them, you and I, we obviously need this to be the target of our prayer as well. We so often live below our hope. We so often live below our glorious inheritance. We so often live below the incomparable power that is available to you and I. You know, next week, um, we're going to dig into chapter 3, and as I said, said possibly chapter 6 as well, and, and we're going to see some of these same things at work because Paul continues to talk about that power and he, he talks about love you know and then he gives instructions of how we would should constantly be praying you know all kinds of prayers but here in this section in chapter one the intent of Paul's prayer is clear that people would truly grab hold of what they have in Christ you know that their understanding and their comprehension and the reality of what they have in Christ would infiltrate and shape their lives in incredible ways. And that's what we need to grab hold of as well. You know, um, last week I gave out three or four practical prayer ideas, just to, something to, to maybe put in practice within your own life. Um, this week, I'm honestly, I'm slacking a little bit. I only have one for you, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I think it's, I think it's a good one. Um, here's an idea for you this week in prayer, whoever it is you pray for, 
including yourself, and whatever else it is that you pray, why not pray these things as well? Pray for these things for them. Pray for these things for yourself. That God would, through His Holy Spirit, give wisdom and revelation to know Him better. That He would open the eyes of our hearts to an enlightenment and an awakening and a comprehension of the hope to which we are called. The glorious inheritance that is within the community of Christ, His holy people, and the power at work in us who believe. Pray that. Pray that for your friends. Pray that for your family. Pray that for you. Pray that for us as a church. That's what we need. We need to constantly come to God and say, God, would you do this? Would you open this up? And, and I'm not saying don't pray for other things. We need to, and, and Paul gets into this in chapter 6 where he says pray for all kinds of different things and in all kinds of different situations. And we, we need to be doing that. But notice what he's praying for here for the Ephesians. This is important. This is the stuff that we need to get to. When we come in prayer, we need to go, God, you need to open us up to see who you are. Because we can't see anything properly unless we know who you are and who we are in you. And that helps us to navigate things differently. And so pray that. Pray that God would open up our hearts and give wisdom and revelation and that we would see, oh my goodness, where's my crash helmet? Like, because the power is incredible that He's giving us access to. And feel free to wear those crash helmets next week if you want to. There's, this is a no-judgment zone, okay? Like, we may even have a few left over from the yard sale, alright? Like, we'll give them to you. You don't even have to, well, you can donate if you want, but we, we will give them to you. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have a treasure in you, that you look at us and you go, oh, that's my treasure. Those are my beloved ones. Those are the ones that I, I knew before they were even, even conceived. And those are the ones that I, I have, have knit together and formed day after day. Those are the ones I love. Thank you that that's who we have in you. And then we can come to you and ask for these things and you lovingly guide us into this step by step and help us to grow in this, Lord. That's what we want and we want to grow in this. More and more each day, we want to get closer and closer to who you're calling us to be. And thank you for the grace that is found in you that you guide us through that so lovingly. You're not staring down at us with an accusing finger, but you're looking at us saying, my arms are open wide, wide child. Run into them. I'm here. Lord, thank you for that. Help us to, to walk into and to run into those arms. We love you and we just give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.